Heavenly Father, whenever we consider the riches of your grace and the great bounty that you poured out freely upon us sinners, we are overwhelmed to consider your love, the magnitude of it, the sheer dimensions of your glory and your power and your plan to even fill eternities time and uh, place with uh, those that were once sinners without hope in this world, without a promise, without a covenant, and yet you've drawn so many to yourself through your wonderful grace. And uh, what a praise and glory that is to you, Heavenly Father, and that we're included in that is is a thought that just... Uh, causes us to bow and worship, even fall on our face at times on the on the earth, uh, on the floor, uh, or to bow our heads and welcoming your good hand that rests upon us. So, Father, I just so thank you for that, and you continue to remind us of that. And when we were even children, were taught your scriptures, even though we didn't comprehend them, often even though we didn't believe them in many cases and yet the day came that we did and we rejoiced so father thank you for intersecting with our lives individually personally in ways that that were meaningful to us and and transforming and we're so thankful father for all these riches that you continue to pour out upon us day by day and hour by hour and yes, our circumstances are trying at, at times. And for some, even some here in our group, often seem overwhelming. And for us all on occasion, they have been overwhelming indeed. But Father, we've learned that your grace is truly sufficient. And uh, you're writing these truths upon our hearts day by day and hour by hour. Father, thank you so much. Uh, there's so much to be thankful for for all things, because you're the one ultimately, Heavenly Father, managing it all. Ultimately, all will point to and uh, highlight your power and your glory and your righteousness and your redemption. So, Father, we're so thankful for that, that we can have hope that you will work all those things out even those things that today seem so dark here in our world that uh, all will be known, it will all be clearly revealed and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to your glory, Heavenly Father. We're so thankful for that hope. Father, we're thankful that uh, you've worked so many things out for those in our group uh, day by day, week by week. There are many challenges. Several here have already offered thanksgiving for the way that you've done that. So thankful, Father, that uh, you even use hard times to draw your children to yourself and others. We pray that for the young ones in our group, Father, who are beset with testings and trials on every side. The attacks of the enemy are everywhere. We just pray, Father, that they would be protected from them somehow, that the truth that has been embedded in their 
souls would be a a protection and a guard against the lies of the enemy, Father. We pray, Father, for that. And uh, that those that don't know you, Father, would soon, as these days of grace are perhaps even very soon coming to an end. Father, I pray for our nation so caught up in sin and lies. Many, even more young than old, but many can't even think any longer or have not received an education that enables them to even consider the consequence of their own actions. And many are dying from drug overdoses or from other uh, evils. So, Father, we, we just pray for them and for all of our nation, all of our citizens, that uh, the lies would be dispelled by the truth and uh, set aside as many in ways, Father, that only you could work out, have their blindness lifted, uh, and many might even in these dark days be drawn to you and your saving grace. And Father, that would be a wonderful blessing to come from all that has occurred already and may still yet come upon us in this nation as evil continues to reign and uh, Yet, Father, you and your grace reign even more as uh, you've taught us so well. So, Father, thank you again now. May you open our hearts as we look into your word, the word of grace. In Christ's name, amen. What a blessing it is to have God's word set before us again. And today, we have the privilege of finishing up our Diversion away from Colossians into other scriptures. It's taken a while, but as you know, the reason for it was that Paul mentions the mystery, and he said it was critical to understand that sacred secret and all of its dimensions. And if we understood it well, it would be used by God to to create in us maturity as believers that we would be grown up, as it were, and blessed in so many ways. And Paul wrote about that in Colossians chapter 1, where he talked about himself being uh, uh, called out as the minister of God and uh, called out as the minister of the gospel, the gospel of grace, and uh, how he was given over to the church, the body of Christ, to present the truth for this time, for this dispensation of grace, and that it might complete the word of God. That's in Colossians chapter 1, those verses in the 20, 21, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And then in 26, he says, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then he says, whom we preach. So he preached Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, whom we preach, warning every man. 
Strong words indeed. Teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ Jesus. So you see how important the preaching and teaching of the sacred secret was in all of the dimensions of it. And that's why we've taken the diversion to go back and look at Paul's other letters and to consider all these different dimensions of the mystery, the sacred secret. The last of those was the spiritual warfare, which also, like all the others, is dispensationally significant. In other words, how God is working today is the issue. It's not it's not enough for believers to to know how God was working in other periods of sacred history. It's important, Paul says it's an encouragement to learn that. Um, but it's essential that we know how God is working today. Because if we don't, we'll be caught up in religious pursuits, undoubtedly, that are contrary to his own work and will. So it's absolutely essential. And that's why he writes what he does. And we need to take him literally when he says that he warned every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that he might present every man complete in Christ Jesus. And then verse 29, whereunto I also labor, and uses four different words for hard work here. Labor, striving, according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Four different words in Greek to cover the, every side of it, you know, of the work of God in and through us. And specifically here, specifically here, Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles. So are we going to take Paul literally and take this as the word of the living God that was inscripturated, written out by Paul? Or are we going to turn aside from it like so many have down through the ages? Okay, well, I trust we're accepting Paul as our apostle and who brought the revelation given to him directly by the risen Christ. Think about that. Paul's life was totally transformed, and he was taught then on multiple occasions. He writes about that in Acts chapter 22 and, and chapter 26, and uh, received the teaching which he then gave to the churches in these letters. Last time we saw how he's provided a number of different defensive capabilities for spiritual warfare. And he's made it very clear there that we are called into the battle. We do not have an optional choice here. Uh, there is no volunteer military in God's world. You don't just stand aside and wonder whether there might be a draft someday. And if there's not, just live life independently. No. <laughs> and only the bravest and most committed might, uh, might enlist, right? No, we don't have an option in this area. We are called into the battle. And that's why God has provided the defensive parts of our preparation ready and waiting to be used and so he mentions and we looked at it last time the feet and the body he's already mentioned the breastplate and so forth and and then he goes on here 
and we looked at it last time, he's even given us a shield, the shield of the faith. Wow. And he says that's that can be effective, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So our primary enemy is not on this earth. We spend a lot of time focused on the enemies here in this world, in our country, don't we? But our real enemy is spiritual, he says. Satan has myriads of creatures at his disposal, angels that have fallen, turned away from the Lord God, listened to the lies of Satan himself, and they are now working to accomplish his purpose. And they work here on this earth, and you can be sure of that, right? So he says our enemies are spiritual in the heavenlies, But God has provided our enablements, but we need to learn how to use them, put them on, so we're ready for battle. And then verse 17 in chapter 6 of Ephesians, he says, take the helmet of salvation. And I think that that's uh, one that we absolutely have to consider as of utmost importance. In fact, everything after that in this chapter 6 Everything else about spiritual warfare is dependent upon that. Why? Because our minds are the gateway to truth or lies, right? And so if our minds are open to receive the lies of the enemy, we're in real trouble. And in battle, we will not be able to stand if we do not have the helmet of our salvation properly in place. Okay, so that salvation is eternal salvation, as we read about uh, in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope, even the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. How important is that message? He's writing to Titus. What does he say next? He says, Speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Okay, so Paul had help from a number of dedicated servants. One was Titus on the island of Crete. One was Timothy who traveled often with him. And there are others, Epaphroditus, Silas, Priscilla and Aquila. We could make a long list, right? They were totally dedicated to the work of the Lord to get the word out, the word of the gospel, the gospel of peace, he says here. Okay, so that salvation conviction needs to be properly uh, embedded in our minds so that we're defended there. That's what what the helmet is all about, right? And then he goes on finally to the offensive 
weapon that God provides, and there's only one. It's like our spear, our sword. Uh, it's what's needed at the time, at the moment of attack. And it will vary, but it's still the same word of the living God. And in fact, as I mentioned a few times, it's the utterance of God that's appropriate for the moment. And here he calls it the sword of the spirit. So our outline today is very simple. First of all, we have been well prepared offensively. Still work to do, and we'll look at that next. But we have been well prepared, and the weapon has been made available there and ready to be used. And then secondly, we should never enter into spiritual conflict without prayer. Okay, so first of all, we have been well prepared offensively, certainly defensively and now offensively. Ephesians 6.17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay, I think this is a very difficult subject for people, especially today as false teaching has taken over the hearts of many. And one of the most popular books of our time is named Jesus Calling. That's an erroneous title. It's certainly on the wrong track. That book is very dangerous indeed. Because that book is all about how Jesus will speak to you in human language and tell you what to do and how you have to do what Jesus tells you to do and all of that. But these miraculous things, whether it's God speaking directly to us, the Lord speaking to us, or the other signs, wonders, and miracles, uh, Paul writes about how Satan will use all of these tools um, throughout the dispensation of grace in order to cancel out the word of the living God and to set us up against really what God is doing today and, and cause us to be religiously devoted to other causes other than what God is doing and really contrary to what he is doing. And so many today are caught up in such uh, erroneous teachings as that. Take uh, some time and open Second Thessalonians chapter 2 later uh, to read all about this, how even today what Satan will do in the tribulation period that will lead to the uh, destruction of so many, even to the reception of the mark of the beast and so forth, uh, the same kind of thing is going on today. He says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Okay, that means with signs, wonders, and miracles. So Satan and his demons and all of his emissaries are already well involved in that. But instead of the false teaching, we have truth to set before us. And praise God, okay? Now, there are many places where Paul provides this truth in his letters. And what I want to do now is look at some of them. First of all, Paul's authority has been established, right? Are any of us here in doubt as to his authority to provide the truth to the church in this dispensation of grace? Paul writes that the dispensation was even given to him. 
right? <laughs> and uh, I'd like Patty to start our readings today by taking one of those verses. And there are really quite a few, but I, I don't want to go to all of them now, uh, mainly because if we had two hours, we could do it. But uh, <clears throat> I would like to move ahead quickly to finish this all up today. So next time we'll be uh, continuing on in Paul's letter to the Colossians, Lord willing. But Patty, if you just read this very clear teaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Me, followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And then going on. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Amen. So teachings like this really stand out because it's so direct, so to the point, so concrete. <clears throat> How can we be confused about this? Paul says, imitate me. And yet what you hear everybody talking about today is how we have to imitate Christ. An unbeliever wrote a very, very famous book called The Imitation of Christ a long time ago. It's still read by many as a great book of the faith. Well, it's not a book of the faith. How can you imitate Christ? He is the Son of God, and his teachings were just even for his disciples that they were not able to imitate him except in very very minor ways but paul was sent forth as our example and one that we could imitate and and should and so he commands us here to be an imitator of him and then he says even as i also am of christ christ in his heavenly ministry here right and so Paul knew well the risen and ascended Christ, and he was imitating him, and we are to imitate Paul and take his example to heart. If we do not, we will be caught up in false religion. There's no other alternative. Now, there are many other places where Paul writes about this. Lest would be in any way less than convinced that Paul's authority is absolutely authoritative in this respect. Okay, and I would like Gail to read these amazing verses, and I've tried to pick verses here that you may not be so familiar with, okay? Because uh, these scriptures speak very powerfully concerning Paul and his witness and testimony and therefore his authority today for us. Right. And so, Gail, would you please read Second Corinthians chapter 13, verses one through five. This is the third time I'm coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Shall every word be established? I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time and being absent. Now I write to them which there heretofore have sinned and to all other that if I come again, I will not spare. Since you speak a proof of Christ, you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which is to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. 
For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves, know ye not your own selves, how, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except he be reprobates. What could be stronger teaching than that? I can't even imagine of a stronger teaching than that, right? So Paul, with the very risen life of Christ dwelling within him and with the Lord himself dwelling within him, sets himself forth as the example there. And his words end up being, of course, in effect, the words, therefore, of Christ, right? Christ speaking in me, verse 3, okay? So is Paul's word authoritative? Absolutely, absolutely, right? It cannot be denied. And then, of course, in verse 5, he even mentions uh, the riches of the glory of the mystery, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except he be reprobates. Unbelievers do not have Jesus Christ dwelling within them, though they may call themselves Christians and be caught up in some group or other. Okay, so that reminds us of that, that verse in Colossians about the riches of the glory of the mystery. So we should never forget that since Satan wants to conflict with the work of God, he's going to certainly wage great warfare during Paul's life against him, and he certainly does. False teachers were everywhere making every kind of accusation, right? Um, and ever since, uh, the word of truth through Paul would be uh, attacked by the enemy. And that's true today. And it will be true for us, and our major spiritual assaults will often come in that area where those around us uh, will be attacking us for our standing for the grace of God. Wow. Uh, that's not all. Much, much more has been written, and I'd like us to read a couple of more scriptures. Linda, uh, Galatians chapter 4 Verses 10 through 15. Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know now through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, he despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Wherein then the blessed he spake of, for I bear you record that if I had, if it hadn't been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Amen. Okay, well, I said before, what could be a stronger statement than that? Well, here we have another one that's <laughs> equally strong. And yet these scriptures are ignored by most uh, Bible teachers as not important. Or really, they will attack Paul and say, Paul is so arrogant here. Well, I say to you, if Paul, if this is Paul's arrogance here, if this is Paul's arrogance here and not the truth of God being expressed through him, then we have no place to stand. Then truth has fallen in the streets, 
<laughs> as the prophet Isaiah wrote in chapter 59 of his great prophecy book. Okay, so Paul's testimony was powerful by any measure to those to whom he was writing. What about for us? Well, there's so much more. And now I have in mind for us to look at some of the truth stated by Paul that should never be forgotten because there are powerful promises, life-transforming truth that should be written in our hearts, never to be forgotten. Those truths should be in our spiritual repositories. Okay? Why? Because that's what God, the Spirit, will use in uh, our battles as the sword of the Spirit. There are those truths revealed through Paul that are now, we would hope, residing in our bank accounts, spiritually speaking, right? How about this one, for example? It's a statement of spiritual fact that we always need to remember. And uh, I would like Anne to read it for us. It is a wonderful statement indeed from uh, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. And? And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, and it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thank you, Anne. I mean, just reading the words again and again will uh, help to write these in your heart. And I hope and pray that we are all doing that. We should never forget this. I mean, God the Spirit wants to remind us that his grace is sufficient. And it's through our weakness that his strength is made perfect. And the Apostle Paul is our example who willingly and gloriously entered into those trials, right? Why? That the power of Christ might rest upon him. And so what we were reading before about how Paul uh, <laughs> ministered uh, in the churches and uh, displayed Christ himself as he did so, uh, that should be taken to heart, right? This was the work of God. It was not Paul's arrogance. It was that Christ had overwhelmed him in his self, even physically. As he said, that you, you would if you could have even taken out your own eyes and given them to me, right? Because Paul suffered from serious problems with his eyes that were really an overwhelming burden to him. And yet the Lord used him in his weakness. When he was weak, he was strong through Christ and the Spirit. So what a wonderful thing. Now I'd like 
Lydia to read some wonderful verses for us as well. You might think I've left the best for last. Well, I'm certainly getting to them. These are scriptures that we absolutely can't ever forget without great harm to ourselves spiritually. Uh, Lydia, Philippians 4, verses 5 through 9. Would you read that, please? Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Thank you, Lydia. Wow, what a promise. Those things, this is verse 9, which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Well, that's something we need to be reminded of when the enemy attacks us spiritually, right? And if you forget that, where will you be, huh? You'll be in a position of great weakness and fall in battle. But if we remember these things as the Lord brings them to our memory, we can stand forth and the sword of the spirit may be effectively used in spiritual battle. Amen. Well, Elizabeth, I've uh, asked you to read some verses now. They're really follow on verses from the ones that Lydia just read. But this will be verses uh, in chapter 4, Philippians, verses 11 through 14, and then 18 and 19, where we see more great teaching always to be remembered. Elizabeth? Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewithin to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthened me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you, Elizabeth. So there are several things there we really we would be greatly remiss if we didn't uh, take note of them. First of all, verse 13, which is usually taken out of context by people who, who think they can move mountains by certain kinds of prayers and such like. It's not about that at all. He says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. 
what are the all things? He's just said in the previous verse what they are, right? In the verse before that, he says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am there with to be content. I know. So in other words, he's learned how to be abased, how to suffer lack, in other words. I know how to abound. That's the opposite. Everywhere and in all things, I'm both instructed, both he's been initiated into it in life, right? With the Lord's work in and through him. I've been instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things, all these things that he's just been reviewing here in the context, right? Through Christ, which strengthens me. And then down there, uh, verse 19, what a wonderful promise to those who are learning what Paul learned, right? My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. In other words, their needs will be met, maybe not even here, but in glory, okay? In other words, when we reach that point in glory and see that God has always provided all that we needed. doesn't say all that we wanted. doesn't say all that we desired. doesn't say we can make faith promises and get anything that we want. Somehow God is controlled by our desires. No. But God shall supply all your need. What a difference between wants and needs. Okay, so that's uh, incredibly wonderful to see. There are many dispensational contrasts. Indeed, Christ in us, the hope of glory, is making all the difference, even when we're in times of spiritual attack. And uh, so these truths need to be deposited in our spiritual banks so that, you know, we can withdraw them and use them as needed whenever the Spirit requests them. And one of the scriptures that's been favorites of ours here for many, many years now is just of that sort that we're reminded of so often. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And what does that say? It says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Oh, my. Christ, who is our life, when he shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him. In glory. So these truths fortify our hearts and minds, and they are enabled uh, with power to give us victory over our spiritual enemies. But there's more to the story. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 
say it well there when when uh, it says we need to uh, have an enduring attitude of prayer an enduring attitude of prayer um, he said be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving after thanksgiving really thanksgiving should be first let your then requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's a promise, okay? But it's conditional on us thanking God for all things and then making our request known. So he promises the peace of God under that circumstance. So if you don't have the peace of God, you should think directly about your own willingness to thank God for all things, because truly he is in control, right? We need to be submissive to his will always. And then verse 9, those things which you've both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Another promise, this conditional those things that you've learned from Paul and now you're imitating him because he's imitating Christ, he says, the God of peace shall be with you. So not only the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall protect, guard, and keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, but also the God of peace shall be with you. Oh, amen. But we need prayer. And why would we always need to be in an attitude of prayer? Well, you can't enter spiritual conflict without prayer, because if you enter spiritual conflict arrogantly, thinking that, well, I've gone through basic training, now I'm ready, I can do anything. I have the, the Bible here as my tool. <laughs> you might very well be hitting people over the head with your very large black Bible, but that is not going to make the difference spiritually, okay? Uh, we need to be humbled by the Lord and in prayer always. And so Paul writes about that. One place is uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. Now all these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition. So he's looking back on Israel's history, long, dark history for the most part. They all happen to them for examples, that, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as in is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above ye, that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Idolatry, self-interest um, uh, leading to direct uh, Failure to trust God and to exalt ourselves in the place of Almighty God, that is idolatry, okay? And without proper prayer, 
will fall prey to that. But if we're in a prayerful state of mind, always recognizing who God is, almighty God is. In fact, I don't like to refer to God except by saying almighty God, simply as a reminder for myself that we are his dear children. And so with any temptation that comes, God is offering a way of escape. I'm sure you've experienced that so often in your own life. I certainly have. And so Paul writes in these final words in Ephesians chapter 6 about prayer, about how critical prayer is in spiritual warfare. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me and for me Paul that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery the sacred secret of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So what's at the heart of spiritual warfare ultimately? What is the enemy most seeking to destroy? And it is the gospel. Because that's the power of God and his salvation, right? <laughs> and Paul, I think here, is using the word gospel even more widely even to include the entire teaching uh, that he's been giving here, which he calls the mystery, right? So, indeed, uh, it is the word of the living God. The enemy wants to destroy it through lies, which can capture the hearts and minds, even of God's people, if they're not on the alert and very well taught concerning his truth, right? And so he says, we all are called into battle to be bold with the truth, even if we, as a consequence, suffer imprisonment and bondage as he had. But even there, as an ambassador in bonds, he says, pray for me that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul was not silenced, even though he was uh, chained to a, a Roman uh, there in, in Rome. He was not set aside, as so many must have thought. The false teachers were very happy. Uh, Paul was in bondage. They thought the truth and its ministry and its outreach and its preaching and teaching had been shut down, but they were they were wrong. And even those in Caesar's household were being saved. Praise God. Well, what does that say about us? I guess we need to apply it to ourselves, don't we? And I'll just read two verses closing today from Philippians chapter 1. This is right after he writes about his, his bondage there in Rome and how even those in Caesar's household have come to know Christ as Savior. Philippians 1.29 For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ, 
not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So spiritual warfare for us saints under grace is not optional. We're called to it. We're properly equipped, I trust, and have the only offensive weapon we need, the sword of the Spirit, which is the utterance of God, appropriate for the moment. But if you have not deposited that truth in your spiritual bank account, will you be able to withdraw it when needed? You see how weak you would be in that case. But I praise God and pray that we would all be well provisioned and ready to work according to the power of the word of God in our lives when we're called into spiritual conflict. That may be today, maybe this hour even. It may be also that we're caught up into heaven's glory. That's the next thing on our horizon. Are you ready? Praise God. We may indeed be ready. I'm going to read three more verses and then we'll close. Colossians chapter 2, right after the words we, that where he exhorts us concerning the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Just after that, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you. That Greek word is agony, the great agony I have for you. And for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Amen. Would anyone like to comment? We've covered the basis here. We're now ready to continue in Paul's letter to the Colossians, starting again, right, with what I just read here next time, Lord willing. Any comments or questions? Yes, they can. Yes, Lewis. Uh, thank you for this lesson. It's absolutely wonderful. And uh, I'm sure I'm going to spend some time this afternoon to uh, review this and study it. But nonetheless, and uh, you mentioned that um, Paul wants us to follow him. And yet today, if you look around, talk to most of the questions, I think super majority, they will tell you that they want to be a follower of Christ. Uh, this is problematic, you know. Uh, remember, uh, we had a private conversation not long ago. I mentioned that uh, Christ is half human, half divine. So we are talking about a combination of infinite mm -hmm. and finite, right? right. And we are you know, looking for the redemption of the body and yet we are finite. 
So there's no way, you know, for any of us can follow the path of infinite because we are finite. We're in the different dimensions, right? And, you know, Paul said that, you know, we should use him as an example. And people may be thinking that, well, Paul is just an apostle, just not worth of following. However, if you, if we read Second Corinthians twelve ten, it says he says, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, yes. in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. Okay, this is very tall water there. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. If we just read this way as if it's nothing, but if we really think about this, that's really hard. <laughs> you but know, but people can really follow but, his path to follow him, not to yeah. mention Christ. Okay, so but, I, I feel that people just really underestimate the sin nature we have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what wonderful words, uh, Louis. Absolutely right. Yes, but through our weakness. His strength is made manifest. And we are the vessels, right? What kind of vessels? Clay vessels that are broken in this world, but what God makes of them is glorious. Amen, amen. Any other comments, anyone this morning? Let's go to prayer then. Heavenly Father, thank you again. What a blessing to have this word set before us that we may deposit it in our spiritual repositories, waiting then for the Spirit of God to draw it out and to use it as a, a weapon against the offenses of the enemy and the attacks of the enemy, spiritual indeed as they may very well be, not in the good sense, but in the evil sense uh, from Satan and his emissaries. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that though they rage here in this world, uh, we rest with your peace, your love, and your grace, knowing who we are in Christ Jesus. So thank you, Father, and what a blessing it is to be gathered with this precious word of truth open to us. And may you bless it to our hearts today and always as we are looking for that blessed hope and desiring his appearing. We know you're with us, Father, and your blessings are always sufficient. Your grace is most wonderful. And I thank you, Father, in Christ's name and amen. Amen.